0: From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air.
1: Well, I'm curious to see what the city's response to that is. It it, it seems that this type of treatment has been permitted to go on for so long to have become a customary practice.
0: So have to deal with what I've had to deal with. I'm keeping my phone by me all day to make sure I don't miss that call if he's able to call.
1: It requires a use of force report to be completed every single time that chemical agents are used. Um, It also requires that there be a verbal warning before the use of spray. That was not um, the case in all the, the stories that we detailed in the complaint.
2: I'm Sarah Fenske. A series of disturbances at the City Justice Center earlier this year brought attention to conditions inside the downtown jail. Now a new lawsuit details the horrors inside the facility. It accuses jail staffers of routinely using chemical agents to punish and harm detainees. And it says, as punishment, they turn off the water, depriving detainees of both hydration and the ability to flush toilets in their cells, sometimes for days. The allegations are harrowing, and joining us today to discuss them is Amy Bryan. She is a co-director of the Missouri Office of the Roderick and Solange MacArthur Justice Center. Amy, thank you for joining us today. Thank hey, you, Sarah. Thanks for having me. And we're also joined today by Catrice Howard. She is the mother of Derek Jones, who is one of the detainees behind this lawsuit. Catrice, welcome. Thanks for having me. So, Catrice, I want to start by talking a bit about your son's case. He's been detained at the City Justice Center since uh, November of 2020 on charges of robbery, assault, and armed I tra- don't
0: want to um, discuss anything about that. I want to talk about why Derek is there. Can we do that, please?
2: Yes, that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. I just wanted to explain to our listeners who your son is and um, what is being alleged in this lawsuit. Okay. So he was there in the City Justice Center since November of 2020, and he is there on some some serious charges, but he's spent all but the first month in solitary confinement, and I know before that, he was in the epicenter of the COVID outbreak in the jail. Is that something that is he correct. was worried about?
0: Yes, he and myself.
2: And so he asked to be moved to a different cell. What happened at that point?
0: Um What happened, I really don't know. You would have to speak with CJC in regards to that. But I would like for you to know that my son was maced and attacked, and he has been where he is since mid-December.
2: My understanding is that after he asked to be moved to a different cell, rather than move him, uh, the corrections officer who he made this request to allegedly maced him in the face. Amy, do you think that was retaliation for him asking for this move?
1: I, I think it was it's, it's one of a pattern of incidents where guards are macing detainees um, excessively and without warning um, for simply asking questions, or well, in this case, um, Derek's case, asking to be moved so it didn't have to be housed with a cellmate who um, was symptomatic with COVID-19.
2: So Amy, in the lawsuit, you say he was not acting aggressively or threatening staff safety at that point. Is that something that's borne out by witnesses?
1: Um, well, Derek uh, certainly is, is a witness to that. We haven't had a chance to talk to the correctional officers who were involved in that incident. They would they would know, um, but it fits the pattern, as I said, of of behavior by staff at the justice center of macing detainees without warning, without cause, and without restraint for the purpose of in, inflicting pain.
2: So, Catrice, the lawsuit alleges that after your son was maced twice in, in that moment, um, an officer named Lieutenant Javon Falks maced him a third time. And then this lieutenant closed the door and, you know, he was there in this room with the fumes and said, let him marinate. Is it heartbreaking to envision the pain he must have been in at that point?
0: Exactly. Um, Derek is uh, small in statue. And, um, uh, I can't understand why uh it had taken so many to do what they do, but once again, this is what they do when you don't um you don't have to do anything, they're upset with you if you yell or bang a door or any you know anything, and they're gonna mace you or attack you.
2: So, Amy, this is not the only case that you specifically detail in this lawsuit where they're accused of letting these men, quote, marinate in small rooms, basically deploying chemical agents, giving them no chance to take a shower, basically inhaling these fumes over and over again. Is this something they're using as a means of, of control?
1: Uh, without a doubt, um, and a means of control without um, you know, any sort of security justification for doing it. Are we... By we, not just MacArthur, but our, our co-counsel in the case, we spoke with uh, countless detainees at the city jail um, who talked about, um, you know, being placed in these visiting booths in the mace uh, filling the room um, for asking questions, talking back, as as Ms. Howard said, banging on the door to try to get staff attention because they ignore the call buttons that um, are either broken or ignored within the cell. Um so there there are countless you know stories like Derek Jones' story, sadly. Um another plaintiff, Darnell he was put in a visiting booth um after being maced and beaten and they filled that room with mace and left him there for about nine hours. Mm. Um that happened just back in December. Um so yeah, you said at the outset, these are harrowing stories and they are not one offs. This is a pattern of behavior um by uh by all of CJC staff.
2: I thought one of the details in this lawsuit that just struck me to my core, you say that Mace is such a huge part of routine operations at this jail that even the visiting booths smell of it. So when people go to visit their loved ones, that aroma is is just hanging in the air. And yet, despite how widespread this is, the lawsuit points out there seems to be little to no documentation of its use. What's going on there, Amy? Well, I'm curious to see what the city's response to that is, but I I think
1: It seems that this type of treatment has been permitted to go on for so long to have become a customary practice because there's not accountability when staff use uh, use MACE against detainees in an unconstitutional way, because there's not uh, reporting going out um it's it's hard to believe that jail supervisors wouldn't be aware of this because they're often there when mace is deployed or they are deploying it themselves as you mentioned the visiting booth has this lingering smell and residue from the mace um, and everybody knows it's happening um but there hasn't been any accountability for it um so it's it's really a, a culture uh, uh, of of abuse
2: under their own policies and procedures is this something where a report should be made if chemical agents are deployed
1: Absolutely. So the City uh, Division of Corrections has a policy around the use of chemical agents, and it requires a use of force report to be completed every single time that chemical agents are used. Um, it also requires that there be a verbal warning before the use of spray. That was not um, the case in all of the stories that we detailed in the complaint. Um, and it, and it requires a number of other things when chemical agents are used that the city uh, jail staff are not uh, complying with.
2: Katrice, what's your experience been in trying to get in touch with the city regarding the conditions that your son has experienced at the CJC? I
0: received the uh, mid-December uh, correspondence uh, from someone that my son had been attacked and maced. I immediately tried reaching out, uh, calling uh, to see who did I need to speak with. Uh, I was informed that Mrs. Jones was their case manager. Any concerns should be addressed to her. I did that to no prevail. I could not reach her for so many, uh, maybe a couple weeks. I did um, and was able to speak with her on the phone. She had a detainee before her. I asked if she had my number. She said yes, and she will get back with me. I, to this day, have not spoken with Miss Jones. So a month and a half later, now I'm calling this whole entire time. I've left voice messages, Born born, that name I remember vividly. He was some type of guy that a lot of people said, I'm going to transfer you to him. I left messages on his voicemail. I called one of her constituents. I explained my story. He said that he was going to let it ring, and he would transfer that to her. I get a call from Mrs. Jones but not to discuss the concerns of my son, to let me know that she had forwarded this to an investigator. No one has ever uh, responded to me. I have a right to know about the concerns of my son, considering what was going on. And that went on deaf ears.
2: And, and Catrice, frankly, it, it seems shocking to me that somebody could be held in solitary confinement for so many months when this is somebody who's still waiting for their trial. Has the city ever given you a reason for that specific part of his treatment?
0: I have never spoken with anyone because it went on deaf ears. No one has returned or reached out to me. I have left messages and voice messages and everything. I have not spoken with anyone.
2: Amy, this idea of solitary confinement for a pre-trial detainee, um, what, is this something they're even allowed to do here?
0: Uh, well, I, it's,
1: it's right, I think, to be concerned about it because uh, solitary confinement, even for short amounts of time, has really uh, incredible negative psychological impact and physical impact on people. Um, so I think it's important to, to ask that question. Um, you know, there are a number of folks, um, Derek Jones included, who, who have been in solitary at the center for quite some time, including a lot of folks who were put on the fifth floor in uh, sort of a lockdown setting, uh, somewhat akin to solitary after the uprising in February, where they were denied um, their property, still denied their property. Um, they were held there for days without any water, drinking water or water for the toilets. And without guards even doing rounds, I heard from, from detainees that for days in February they were just left locked in their locked in those cells for days on end without water, um, and without adequate food and, and without bedding and clothing and still to this day without their property.
2: So Amy you and some fellow attorneys reached out to the city in February asking about these water shutoffs asking about the macing and more and the city councilor responded pretty vehemently saying these allegations are simply false he wrote quote the only time water is turned off is when detainees intentionally plug the toilets with clothing and flood the jail floors he wrote each cell is equipped with a combination toilet sink unit with the sink providing all detainees access to drinking water how do you account for the discrepancy between uh, what you're hearing and, and the case you've built, and his assertions that oh no, everything's fine.
1: So that that response was written by former city councilor Michael Garvin. And I'd be curious to hear who he spoke with before drafting that letter, which we received the day after uh, we and a coalition of other organizations sent a, a letter to the city flagging some of the conditions at the jail as. What I can say to that is that that we, and especially our co at Arch City defenders who've been on this for months, um, have spoken with countless people detained at the jail who tell a different story. There are instances where um, perhaps a detainee floods their cell, and so they turn the water off for that. That is the exception, that they are regularly shutting off water to detainee cells for periods of time that vary from hours to multiple shifts, even days for punishment, and they threaten turning water off for punishment, not for th- flooding a, a cell, not for threatening to flood the cell um, or plumbing issues, um, but because somebody asks a question um, or, you know, bangs on the door or, you know, they don't like their attitude, they'll just shut the water off. I mean, that's, that's inhumane.
2: So, Amy, you allege in this federal lawsuit that these actions violate the Constitution. What remedy are you asking for here in court?
1: We're asking for a few different things, and first and foremost, we want to make sure that there is accountability um, and that the named plaintiffs get some compensation for the pain and suffering that they've endured um, while detained at the City Justice Center um, and subject to these conditions. And we're also asking the court to, to declare that these practices by jail staff and the supervisors are unconstitutional um, and you know, ordering them to stop macing people without cause and excessively, um, ordering them to stop these punitive water shutoffs to, uh, to prevent other folks from being harmed the way that Derek, Jerome, and Darnell have and, and countless others have.
2: So you filed this lawsuit just a few days ago, so it may be premature even to ask this, but have you had any reaction yet from the city?
1: We've not heard from them yet. Um, very open to that conversation and, and interested to, to talk to them. They'll Obviously, they will get a chance in due course to respond to the complaint, um, but we've not had a chance to talk to them yet.
2: So, Catrice, we have just a, a final few minutes here, but I, I do want to ask. I know your, your son is the father of two children. His second child was just born this spring. Do you have any sense of how he's doing um, just in, in recent weeks?
0: Uh, well, just in recent weeks, um, I know it was delightful for him to see his daughter for the first time uh, because he just gushed and doted over her to me over the phone call. Mm. Derek only is out an hour a day uh some days uh he's not, and he tries to utilize that hour if he calls me um he may later call his children uh they were first to go and visit him, and you know if he calls them and can't call me you know in that time window, then that's okay. but their spirit uh has been broken by this Someone throws you in the cell, you don't get a shower for eight hours. it's just um unfair to the Mm -hmm. utmost, what my son uh, has experienced there. And I have concerns to this day for my son's safety. My profession allows me to take care of people, and I can't even know or get any concerns about my own son. So I have safety concerns for my son. Um, I just want um, no one else to have to deal with what I've had to deal with. I'm keeping my phone by me all day to make sure I don't miss that call if he's able to call. That's very stressful. They'll take the phone sometimes. No weekend calls. It used to be weekend calls. It used to be quite a few calls a day. If he has money on his books, all of that has changed. So I'm thinking it's punishment to some extent. It has to be. Why is that so? We would have to ask CJC.
2: Well, Catrice, I'm so sorry you're, you're dealing with this. And, and Amy, just in our last moments here, there's some officers you're suing here who are accused of some really heinous acts. Beyond the lawsuit, would you like to see the city take disciplinary action on, on some of these guys? Oh,
1: absolutely. Like I said at the outset, there needs to be accountability. Um, Because when when you don't hold folks accountable, that's that's what permits this kind of behavior to to persist. Um, So there absolutely has to be accountability for the individual officers, as well as for the supervisors who who knew about this going on and tacitly authorized the behavior.
2: Well, Amy Bryan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Amy is the co-director of the Missouri Office of the Roderick and Solange MacArthur Justice Center. And Catrice Howard, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here.